Hey, 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 love and light to each and every one of you guys. Welcome to the Dope Black Chick Podcast, your audio guide to releasing your dopeness. Hey guys, this week on the show, we're going to be discussing um, a topic that I've been following and trying to write on for probably about six months now, and I just haven't written it out yet because I get so frustrated. Even mm. having this conversation, I get frustrated. Um, yeah. But today in, on the show, guys, we're going to be talking about um, maternal mortality rates and how it affects Black women, Black women in healthcare, and healthcare advocacy for Black women. So on today's show, I have a special guest, um, Kyla Kanzader. 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 <laughs> I was going to say Kanzader, yeah. but I said, hmm. Kanzader, Kyla Kanzader <laughs> of, of KylaLive.com and Pink Proverb. So she's going to be on and uh, discuss this with us today because for one, she's a dope black chick and two, um, we've already had this conversation and she has some uh, personal knowledge of the situation as well. So we're going to be discussing that today. Um, first off, uh, Kyla, just, you know, kind of tell everybody who you are and what you do. Hey guys. So I am Kyla, Kyla live on Instagram and on social media. Um, I started a blog called Proverb. That's Clay. He's just, I guess he's fun to let you guys know he's here. Um, just a little lifestyle inspirational blog. <laughs> Kind of started it for myself, but it's evolved into a platform of just talking about women's health and just like living your best life and trying to find um, the hacks and you know just the know-how of how to maneuver through just living with chronic illness and now being a mom <laughs> of an infant. Love so that's it. a little bit about me. Awesome. So let's just go ahead and jump into this and talk about. Um, okay, so. First off, I had seen the article from Serena, um, Serena Williams, mm -hmm. and she talked about yeah. the fact that she was not being heard um, during her uh, childbirth and the mm -hmm. complications that she had following childbirth. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, even a person as affluent as her that is just not being heard you know she said she had to tell them over and over again like no i need this test not that test and she was just so frustrated with the fact that no one would listen to her um and she even acknowledged the fact that okay if i wasn't serena williams and pushed as many times i had to push as many times as i had to also having the knowledge of which test i needed saved my life mm -hmm. i saved myself but there are so many women that don't have the um ability to even know which test they need to mm -hmm. uh if they do come back and forth and say okay well i just don't feel that this is right they're just definitely not going to be heard and they don't have the status of a serena williams to be right. heard at all so we have this issue where black women are dying at three times the rate of white women uh in with complications with childbirth and there's there's a huge problem there that no one's discussing and it's not just serena williams talking about it it's other people discussing it so when i brought it up to kyla 
Kyla, you also had made a comment about the complications you had. So talk about that. So one, yes, this is a very important issue. And I think it stems from not just it doesn't start with just women, black women in childbirth. It There has been systematic issues in our health system that has pointed to the fact that white women and black women do not operate the same with their body. Mm-hmm. And literally there are studies that have been written. For me, I have endometriosis. There were studies that were written that said black women did not and could not have endometriosis. Wow. So for the long time, for years, doctors were treating certain diseases and certain illnesses as something as black women can't have or it's impossible for you to be in that kind of pain or it's impossible for you to have the same thing as your white counterpart and this is written and this is something that is systematically wrong and we have to spend so much time now correcting those wrongs so even when it comes to childbirth you know, um, I haven't really, I've, I've actually done a video about my birthing experience, but I haven't talked about, you know, my um, my experience actually going through a C-section and what that was like, because this is actually uh, Hysterian Awareness Week. Mm. And um, I was approached a couple of days ago to talk about this, but I guess I'll talk about it here first. <laughs> and, Exclusive. Um, I know, it's it's one of those things that, you know, I, I'm, I'm very open about my health, but you have to kind of prep yourself to be ready to have those conversations because it kind of takes you to a place that um, isn't happy, right? And for me, my C-section was not something that was planned. I thought that I was going to be able to have a, a natural birth. Mm. Um, I was born Labor Day weekend. My doctor was out of town every doctor in her practice was out of town and we had a doctor that knew nothing um, about me didn't even know my name before she walked in so it was it was very um you know different and in my head I had that same data that you have right like black women are treated differently like we're not being heard Mm -hmm. and I'm just thinking in my head like who's going to advocate for me like I I don't really know what's going to happen um so when we went to labor and delivery, it started in triage, and um, she literally told me, um, the nurse, and the nurses were great, uh, but again, it's, nobody there knows me. Mm-hmm. Um, they say, okay, well, yeah, you're in labor, but I think it's best that you walk around for about 30, 40 minutes and then come back because by then you'll be in active labor and we'll be able to, you know, put you in a room. So my husband and I, decided to walk to the hospital. We went upstairs um, on the second floor. And I just, by the time we got to the second floor, I was in so much pain, Mm. so much pain, but the time didn't pass. So, you know, we try to tough it out and try to keep walking. And by the time we got back down to triage, they didn't have any rooms available. Wow. So I'm in excruciating pain and um, I can't really describe my pain. I'm just in a lot of pain. And it felt like forever to the point where um, she's like, well, just sit in the waiting room for a minute. And once the room becomes available, then we'll put you in there. Um, so by that time, like, I can't even sit still. Like, I'm laid out on a couch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah, yeah, because I, I can't, I, I honestly can't, I can't fake it. Like, at this point, like, I need to lay down. Um and I'm laid down on the couch, and literally, it's a family there, and I guess their daughter was currently um, in the back. And 
I just remember hearing a voice, like my eyes were closed. I just remember hearing a voice and the lady came over with her husband and she, and they were like, what's wrong? Like, why aren't they taking her back? And, um, you know, my husband said, they don't have rooms right now, but they're going to be taking her back soon. And she literally asked, she was like, does she have insurance? Is that the problem that she doesn't have insurance? Like, (laughs) it was just that blatant that it's like, it's somebody in the emergency, like in the lobby Mm -hmm. struggling Mm -hmm. guys have nowhere to put her. And it's like, okay, sure. So no priority at all. No priority. Um, so then we get back to triage and, you know, she checks me and my water breaks. And she um, says that um, Clay had been distressed and he's sitting in meconium. And I'm like, okay, well, if you guys know anything about how hospitals used to treat meconium back in the day, that was an automatic put her in the room. It's time for her to either push or get this baby out. Right. Um, but now they treat it a little bit differently. They'll literally let your baby sit in the meconium. Um, and that's something where, again, like if my doctor was there, she would have known like exactly. right away. That's not, that's not Kyla's wishes. She doesn't want that to happen. So I'm like, okay. They're like, it's okay. Um, we'll bring you to the back. I went through about 20 hours of labor before, um, Clay was actually delivered. So he's been in meconium that long. Wow. Um, and, yeah. So by the time we get ready to push, um, you know, I couldn't get him out. Like it was, I, my body was just so excruciating. I was tired. Um, and my epidural was not taking. Oh my gosh, so, girl. Mm. But, um, it gave me two epidurals and um, what was crazy is I was talking to my endo sister not too long ago and she was saying, you know, um, her doctor was telling her that her pain medicine wasn't taking because her, it was because she'd been on pain pills for so long her metabolism wasn't able to detect the pain medicine the way it should. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really think about that until like, huh, maybe that was why my epidural wasn't taking or it wore off so fast. Right. So they brought me up twice with the epidural. It didn't work. I was feeling everything. And they were like, okay, at this point, we either need to do a C-section or, oh, sorry. <laughs> so for those who just tuned in, I had told uh, I that my son literally just had the biggest food ever. So, yeah, he's still trying to get out. Um, <laughs> but, um, oh, my goodness, yeah, so, Clay. <laughs> I know. At this point, they're like, either you need to have a C-section or we need to suction him out. And again, this is a doctor that I, I don't know from, you know, we haven't even been on a blind date. I don't know her. From Adam <laughs> right. and like, I don't know her history of being a doctor. And I just didn't feel comfortable with her suctioning my son out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did, um, I did opt to have a C-section. And uh, because my my epidural wasn't taking, I had to be put under, which meant that um, nobody could be in the room with me. That meant that my mom couldn't be there, my husband couldn't be there, and um, I was I was asleep when the plate came out. Um, so when I woke up, um, I saw it was my mom, my dad, and the anesthesiologist in the room. My husband was with Clay. They told me that Clay had made it, um, but Clay was born not breathing, and they had to resuscitate him through the process. 
And I just was like, okay, well, when am I going to be able to see him? And I wasn't able to see him until that night. So it probably was about four or five hours, which to me was a blessing because usually when a child um, is born in meconium and goes through that experience, they usually end up NICU for a lot longer. Mm-hmm. But Clay is a very um, headstrong child. We <laughs> so, <laughs> didn't have to go through that process for uh, much long, longer. But what was crazy after that is I um, had my C-section. I knew something wasn't necessarily right, right away. Um, it just, my body just didn't really feel like it was, um, like the time we got ready to leave the hospital, I just didn't feel like I should leave the hospital. And by then my doctor came back and um, we actually were told we needed to stay in the hospital a little bit longer than um, the regular stay for a C-section. And my doctor came back thinking it was because Clay had, um, had you know, gone through his process with the meconium. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it was because they wanted to evaluate me a little bit longer. And um, <laughs> she was like, okay, well, you're good to go. So they did what they usually do. They took my staples out before I left. And they put on the white strips over my cesarean. And, you know, we went home. And I don't know, like, I just was, um, I was feeling really, really, like, loopy, just not really, like, in a in a good space. And mm-hmm. um, a couple of days later, I woke up, and my cesarean was was pussing. Like, it was just, like, mm-hmm. um, And I didn't really, even then, I'm, like, in my head, I'm, like, okay, well, maybe, you know, maybe if I just take a shower or, because, for me, because I've done, I've dealt with so much chronic pain, like, I honestly, if it's not a doctor that I'm familiar with, I absolutely hate going to the doctor, because mm-hmm. I feel like it's always something that I have to overly explain, or right. if I don't, you gotta fight I, about, right, or if I don't articulate it properly, then you're not going to believe me in the first place, so, um, went to the doctor, um, to get it checked out, and I had an infection, <laughs> and, um, she didn't tell me at the time what type of infection I had, and I don't think I even really wanted to know what type of infection I had. Um, I just was like, okay, we'll just, you know, do what you got to do. Like, whatever you got to do, like, just, you know, tell me what I need to take, tell me what we need to do. So she ended up stuffing my wound, which is uh, usually what happens if you have an infection. They, they stuff it with, like, this little strip to kind of get the pus to come out and then she gave me antibiotics and sent me on my way so I'm like okay well this should clear up um in a couple of days and it didn't and my mom kept saying like something's not right um usually you know if you have an infection like that like and they give you antibiotics like it should only take a couple of days for it to clear up or you to start feeling better um bless you mama or you know for it to to for you to actually see ease of it. And it was still pressing really bad. Um, my blood pressure dropped um, and I was dealing with low blood pressure, just the fact that I was breastfeeding and doing all this other stuff. <laughs> um, like a, a regular mom would do at the time, but it was just taking me, uh, I was going through a, a lot. A lot of trauma on your body. A lot. Absolutely. So um, at the time, my dad was with me the whole time. So I was blessed to have my dad 
with Clay and I throughout the whole process. So he was at home with us. And I was just like, Dad, something just doesn't feel right. Like, I need to go to the hospital. And, um, you know, at this point, it's like, I don't want to take my brand new son to the hospital. <laughs> so I drove myself to the hospital. Um, and if you, after you have a C-section, you're not supposed to drive. But I didn't want <laughs> my dad. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't want my child in the hospital. So right. I was like, Dad, you stay with Clay. I'm going to drive to the hospital. I went to the hospital. And I'm in the emergency room by myself. And it's like, again, I have to prove to the person, the triage person, that, that something's exaggerating, wrong. that I'm here because I really right. feel something's wrong. Like, I've got to prove and fight to you that I'm not doing the most. Yeah. Right. And it's like, I remember him asking me, so why did you come by yourself? And I literally, like, was about to break down crying. I'm like, yo, I just told you I just had a kid. Like, I'm not bringing my child in the hospital. I'm not bringing him in the ER. Like, he hasn't had any shots like that. Like, I don't want him to be susceptible to anything lurking in this hospital. So um, I was like, you know, I had to come by myself. He's like, okay, I completely understand. Um, They sent me back to the emergency you know to the room I was sitting there for a while and um doctor came and he was like okay well he looked at my wound he looked at my um because it was the same hospital that I actually delivered it so he looked at my chart um he was like yeah I see that I see that that you had an infection you know and your doctor gave you antibiotics and they're still and, not telling you, know, you what type of infection at this point well, they didn't tell me what type of infection at that point. Um, and he was like, okay, we're going to run some extra tests. So they took a swab of my, my C-section. There you go. Took a swab of my C-section. Um, and then they ran that test. And then they were like, okay, well, we're going to go and do an MRI. Now, listen, I'm all for an MRI, but they wanted to do the um, ink MRI, which meant that they would have put the ink in my system to make it more of an HD picture. Um, and but I remember you were a new mother, right? And you're breastfeeding, right? Right, right. right. So this, and what was crazy is a black lady working down at the MRI area, and she's like, "It's going to let you know when you take this exam, you're not going to be able to breastfeed for 24 hours." And um, she was like, "It's your choice." You know, you can take it, you can get the test done or not. Okay. <laughs> you can get the test done or not, but um, you can't breastfeed for 24 hours. Now, mind you, I'm here by myself. I'm downstairs. I can't get a phone signal. Like, I can't call anybody to, like, give me some advice or, mm-hmm. like, I'm trying to get my mom on the phone or somebody on the phone to just give me advice about what I should do. So, the doctor comes. He's like, all right, you ready to do it? I was like, honestly, no. Like, I... My child is only a couple months old. Well, he, at this time, he was a month old. Uh, Clay was a month old. Um, I don't have enough milk uh, supply back up. And I have not talked to his pediatrician about formula. So um, I don't feel comfortable doing it right now. And he was like, well, you can get your pediatrician on the, on the line. I'm like, I don't have a signal down here. I'm <laughs> trying to call his pediatrician. Like, I can't get her on the phone and I don't feel comfortable just making a whim of like, yeah, let me go get my child some formula and him not being able to take it or him have a reaction or anything right. of that nature. 
And I didn't, I didn't want my child to be on formula. That's not, that was not a part of my plan. So the, you know, he clearly was getting a little agitated. So he goes and prints up this document and says like, yeah, you know, I just want to print this up. Like this is coming from, you know, the Association of American whatever, mm-hmm. right? Like they're saying that you can breastfeed after you take this. Sir. Um, like it, and I'm just like. <laughs> Not my child. <laughs> like I'm good. Like I'm okay. I'm good. And then he brings in another doctor and the doctor is like, listen, I'm like, you know, I just had a kid and, you know, my my wife and I, we we interchangeably go from formula to breast milk and it's okay. Like it's, it's fine. I'm like, first of all, your child is probably three months old, three months old or older. Right. And I'm like, play is a month old. <laughs> he's not three months. He's a month old. No, I don't feel comfortable with that. And it was just like, okay, well, if you don't get it, then you're gonna have to find this, this document saying that you refuse treatment. Okay. I thought and I had a choice though. So how am I right. treatment by saying I don't want to go this path? Right, right. Like it was just a whole debacle about like, okay, well now you're not doing what's best for you. Now mm-hmm. you now you're not putting your health first. And I'm like, it's just not that easy. And the fact that you don't understand that it's just not that easy is like crazy to me when you can do a regular MRI. That's yep. the crazy part about it. Like you don't have to have the H D version of an MRI. Exactly. You can do a regular MRI. And um, so I did a regular MRI, nothing came up on the regular MRI, and then they still made me sign the form that um, if something was to happen, I refused treatment, which was fine. Um, but then I get a call uh, the next day from the emergency room, and this is what was crazy. I get a call from the emergency room doctor first, and he's like, hey, just got your results back. Um, you did have... Um, uh, e. coli. You had E. coli infection when you left the hospital from your um, from your C-section, but now it's showing that you have a staph infection. Um, and you know it didn't show up on your first uh, results, but it's showing up now. And I'm thinking in my head, like, huh? I'm like, okay. Mind you, this whole time um, I've been having a nurse come to my house every single day to restuff my bandages to, to re take out the the old stuffing and, and restuff it because I didn't feel comfortable doing it by myself and my doctor made sure that it was a nurse there. So now it's like, did I already already have the infection and you just gave me the wrong antibiotics? That's what or, it is. <laughs> or or the scenario could be, you know, did I get another infection from my nurse while she was trying to care mm-hmm. for me? Um, and that's a possibility too. But a staph infection um, and the staph infection that I had, this is the, you can only get this infection in the hospital. In the hospital, yes. (laughs) You know, it's beyond crazy. And and it's so crazy because he called me so sympathetic on the phone. And I'm thinking in my head, like, it took you to get my results for you to, like, see that something's not right. Right. (laughs) Right. So then I call from my doctor, literally a few seconds later. Like a few seconds right after the emergency room called me, I guess they realized that oh, it's in her files, so we need to we need to like dial her up immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's like, "Yeah, I got your results back. Um, um, you know, I didn't. Uh, I see that you know you had staph infection too. We're gonna put you on a different antibiotic. Like she's just seen like now she's like very forthcoming and just like 
open and <laughs> okay. I mean, like, why can't and, I get that level of service from the start? Is the question. Right. Like, why right. is it such, like you said, I have to fight. I've got to fight to even prove to you the reason that I'm here. You know, like, yeah, kind of happened to me when I was in the hospital um, in 2016. It's like, I'm telling them that uh, there was a, a black nurse. She came in and she puts this um, line in my arm. And um, so they're sending like a barrage of different nurses in there. And for whatever reason, they'll take out the line, put it back in, take out the line, put it back in. So they don't know mm. how to accurately put the line in. So it keeps falling out and I'm just bleeding everywhere. Mm. I'm being stuck up. 20 times every hour it seemed um and so finally uh one of the doctors comes in uh had an attitude really did <laughs> and she looked at me and she's like oh yeah we're just gonna put a line in your neck oh no said, that's not happening not happening she's like well it has to happen i said well you know i can go home well, if you go home, you're going to die. I said, okay, well, I'm good with that. Me oh, wow. are on good terms, so I'm good. Like, I'm going home. And um, mm -hmm. she's like, no, you, let me send another doctor down. So she brings another doctor down, and um, white doctor, and he's, again, he's like, well, what's the problem? Why exactly are we doing, you know, putting it in her neck? And she's like, well, it just won't stay in her arm. She has very small veins, blah, blah, blah. I said, it was fine when that black nurse put it in there. I don't know what y'all been doing since, but it was fine when she put it in there. And so, you know, they had, at this point, I think there were about three or four doctors all looking at me, trying to convince me that I needed to have a line in my neck. And the lady walks by, that black nurse walks by, and I said, hey, her. She comes in, looks at my arm. She said, no, no, no. I put that in there. So I know that's good. And, and there's nothing wrong with her veins. So she comes and she looks and she's like, who took it out? Of course, it's a thousand different ones came in there. So she looks and she grabs my arm and honey, in two seconds, she puts it back in there. And the doctor says, well, then there's no need to go in the net. You really didn't have to go in the net. So I'm like, okay, had I not really been like look lady you're not going in my neck if you can't get into my arm what makes you think i'm gonna trust you around my neck are you crazy like nope, nope. i had to fuss and fight i mean she was saying that i was being irrational and all of this stuff like i was making a hubbub but i'm really not. i'm telling you you don't need to do that and you know i had to go all of that to prove to you that you didn't need to do it and that it, it had something to do with your error, not mine. It's not something wrong with my body, you know? And, and right. I just, oh, girl, I, it bothers yeah. me every time I, I talk about this topic because there are so many Black women. And like you said earlier, you didn't even really want to go back to the hospital because you already know what you have to deal with going there. So a lot of the times they'll say, that 
the cause for the um, extreme rates of death for black women is because of the fact that we're not seeking healthcare. But it's not that we don't want to be seen. It's just that we know what we're going to have to deal with when we get there. So if we can't yeah. handle what we can handle at home, we try our best so that you don't have to go through what you got to go through when you get there. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's crazy. And I remember um, while I was pregnant and I was going through the experience, I saw an article on Facebook about this young lady had a master's degree. She was um, traveled the world with her husband. They were pregnant with their second child. She had to get a C-section on her second child. And her husband kept telling the nurse, like, she's bleeding. You need to check her. And they were like, oh, we'll be back. We'll be back. We'll be back. And like hours later, she's still bleeding and she lost her life. Mm-hmm. But if it was, and I hate to say this, but if it's it was somebody of another race, it's the and truth. she just happened to, you know, happened to be like, I need you right now, then it would be a different story. And I will say this. Thankfully, I had some amazing nurses when I delivered. Had two nurses because the doctor actually changed. I had one doctor at one time and then the shift changed while I was in labor. So then was another doctor oh, that wow. ended up being there. And um, the two nurses that started with me stayed with me. They literally, they literally were like, okay, we know our shift is over, but we just want to make sure you get out of your, you know, C-section. Okay. So they literally waited until I woke up in my room before they left for their, they left for their, their session. Well, their, um, for their, you know, their time. Nurses are so amazing, especially when you have nurses that are empathetic and kind and open um, to, to what's really going on. Like they can be that bridge. They can be that advocate for you sometimes. Absolutely. Absolutely. So in hindsight, you know, going through it and I kept saying like, okay, I want to doula. I want to doula. Um, and we waited too late to get a doula. And by that time, I'm like, okay, well, you know, we just got to go through labor and delivery. Now, in hindsight, if I would have known that my doctor wouldn't have been there or, you know, I was mm-hmm. going through everything, I think that I would have fought harder for um, a doula. And should God bless me with having another child, like I will have a doula by my side the complete way through. Um, because you do, you need somebody there that knows both sides of it. I can say, like, I'm here to make sure she's going to be okay. So do you, um, it sounds like you do agree with a lot of, especially African-American women, have begun to seek out doulas. Um, I think it's extremely important for any Black person, anytime they're dealing with healthcare, that they need to have some type of advocate for themselves somewhere. You broke up, Kim. What, what oh, you okay. Saying? I said, well, have you, uh, with noticing how a lot of African-American women have been seeking doulas, um, mm-hmm. what, what are your thoughts on that? But it seems like you do agree with that um, because I just believe any black person dealing with the healthcare industry needs to have an advocate, period. Um, regardless if it's for childbirth, for whatever, you need to always, always, always have an advocate um, when you enter the healthcare system. But what are your thoughts on on um, having a doula, seeking a doula out, the importance of a doula? Because you know, a lot of times, as I've, like I say, I've noticed that we're moving back towards having those um, midwives 
and mm-hmm. the world, society will tell you, oh, it's not so safe. You need to definitely be at a hospital, blah, 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 to kind of deter that because, of course, it's money, money, money. But um, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on seeking a doula and anyone who may have questions on uh, the legitimacy mm-hmm. of having a doula? Well, I have, so for me, you know, um, I had endometriosis and I had fibroids and, you know, being able, I really wanted to have a home birth in the, in the water and all that good stuff, but I couldn't, like, I knew that I needed to be in a hospital setting. I am for, you know, I'm not against having birth in the hospital, but I am for having to do a while in the hospital. Right. I feel like, you know, even, um, the hospital that I gave birth to Clay, they had doulas that were available, but unfortunately it just did not align. Like there, there was nobody available for the time that I needed a doula. Like it, apparently there's a lot of people having kids around that time. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's something that but, to think of. I mean, I didn't even know that they have them on standby in certain hospitals. I guess you have to research the hospital that you yeah. get birthing at yeah. and seeing if that's available. That is an option. So that's cool. Yeah. So even if the yeah, even if the high school doesn't have doulas, there's a lot of women out there. And I think for me, it's I just I just waited to the last minute to try to find a doula. Like by that time I'm in my third trimester, you know, and I'm like, okay, I need a doula when I should have been looking for a doula once I got pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean the truth about it is that as an African American we don't have the luxury of waiting to the last minute. You know, no. just don't have that luxury because you do need an advocate. I think if, if anything I want you guys to get from this show today is that, um, you know, the dope black chick is always about get, keeping it real and telling you what's what's mm-hmm. real about this life. And this life that I live as a black woman, I recognize I don't have the benefit of waiting to the last minute because things like this will happen. If I don't have an advocate, you know, to stand beside me. So I have to prepare. We have to, we got to have to get ready for stuff before it even happened, you know, 10 years ahead. So so that's just the life that we live as Black Americans. And so I think if anything that you get from this today, um, especially if you're a woman who is is having a child or um, planning to have a child, start the planning now. Because you will need an advocate in that room with you. Absolutely. And I just want to say that, you know, um, with this whole race that we have going on, um, our presidential race that's about to happen, and these Democratic, these Democrats coming up and saying that they want to be, you know, our next president, um, we have to push them to talk about women health care and women and our rights. And I literally... Um, was back and forth on Facebook with somebody because I posted uh, an article about Elizabeth Warren, Warren bringing up the topic about, you know, we really need to advocate for Black women and get uh-huh. this right down. Right. And, uh, yeah, I saw you know, that. <laughs> yeah. Like some people really are just like, okay, like there's nothing we could do. This is what it is, or whatever the case may be. Like at the end of the day, if we say one more life, it's worth it. If she says, like, we need to go ahead and put money towards it, put money towards it. Like that's how reform starts. And if they're not talking about us, if they don't realize that we're going to be the changing vote, mm-hmm. then we have to force them to have the conversation. Like it's way too important. And it's too many of us dying senselessly 
who are intelligent black women. Like this is not just happening to women in areas of low income. Like this is happening to women who have PhDs. Exactly. This is happening to women who are famous. This is happening to women across the board. So imagine a, a young girl or a woman who doesn't have the knowledge set that we have going into a hospital. Can you imagine what's happening to her? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they understand that our vote is going to be the changing vote. Like at this point, if they're not having the conversation about it, then they're not my candidate. You don't get serious. my vote. I'm serious. I'm serious. Great. Yeah. Um, thank you, Kyla, for coming on and sharing with us today um, on the Dope Black. Channel. Thank you for having me. No problem, sis. <laughs> You're all that. <laughs> Thank you, um, Clay, for joining the show and giving us your stuff. <laughs> but guys, that's going to be it for the Dope Black Chick Podcast. Make sure that you head on over to Spotify, Google Podcasts, uh, Apple Podcasts. We're streaming there as well. Subscribe, rate, review, all of that good stuff. And as always, peace and blessings.